What is the soul? Look for it, and it can't be seen. Define it, and it will elude description. And yet, for the ancients, the idea that life could exist without a soul was unimaginable. However, ancient texts such as the Talmud and Kabbalistic rabbis did not make a strict distinction between body and soul. Unlike Plato, for example, most Jewish thinkers had a notion of life energy that was quasi-materialistic. The spiritual world and the material world were interwoven, and actions in one could directly affect the other, for better or for worse. But what happens when the life energies are misappropriated? What happens when something goes wrong. There seem to be objects in this world that draw to themselves some sort of mysterious, dark energy. For whatever reasons, unexplained forces, spirits, entities, or curses are said to gravitate towards these items, imbuing them with some ominous quality beyond our ability to explain or even comprehend. One such baffling object turned up for sale on the internet and immediately stirred the imagination with its story of spectral entities, curses, and strange happenings orbiting it, and it has gone on to catapult into one of the strangest haunted object tales of recent times. This is the story of what has come to be known as the Dybbuk Box. The Dybbuk Box is an old, antique wine cabinet steeped in a shadowy past, discovered and purchased at an estate sale by antiques collector Kevin Manis. Although the box had certainly caught his eye, it was the spooky and unique history told to Manis by the seller that really made him interested. The seller claimed that the box had been owned by her grandmother, a Jewish Holocaust survivor, in World War II. The grandmother was the only one of the family to survive the atrocity, and with some other Holocaust survivors, managed to escape and make her way to Spain, which was where she had acquired the box. When she had immigrated to the United States, the grandmother brought the box with her and had warned her daughter to never open it, as it was claimed that it held within it a type of ancient demon called a dibuk, one that had been accidentally summoned and subsequently imprisoned within the box long ago. Intrigued by its sinister history, Manus purchased the box and would soon realize that there was perhaps more to the ominous and creepy legend than he could have ever imagined. After returning home, Manus immediately broke the rule not to open the cabinet and found that it contained an eclectic mix of odd items, including a wine goblet, a small granite slab with the Hebrew word shalom etched into it, a dried rosebud, a candlestick, two pennies from the 1920s, and perhaps strangest of all, two locks of human hair bound by cords. 
Almost immediately after this, on that very same day, strange things began to happen. Beginning with an incident when Manus left his shop to go on an errand and returned to find the place was ransacked, as if someone had thrown a tantrum there, yet nothing had been stolen. A terrified clerk at the shop also said that she had seen light bulbs smashing by themselves and had heard what sounded like a disembodied voice cursing. Oddly, an isolated patch of the area seemed to be infused with the scent of jasmine flowers. Manis would say of the incident, When I got back to the shop, I went to investigate. I remember heading toward the back and walking into what I can only describe as a wall of scent. It smelled just like jasmine flowers. You could take one step and not smell a thing and take another step backward and be surrounded by it again. Manis then gave the box to his mother as a present on Halloween, still not really connecting the strange occurrences with it, and she allegedly suffered a stroke a mere five minutes after receiving it. She survived the incident, which partially blinded her, but not surprisingly, didn't want the box anymore, saying she could feel a malevolence emanating from it. He then gave it to his sister, but she too soon complained that there was some inexplicable feeling of dread any time she was near it. She said that it would open on its own when no one else was around. She also spoke of having potent nightmares of a scary old lady. And so she soon gave the box back, only after a few days of having it. The box passed to his brother, his wife, the wife claiming she smelled cat urine, the brother smelling hints of jasmine, and even eventually to Manus' girlfriend. They all complained that there was something evil about it. Manus finally decided to hold on to it for the time being and put it in his basement. That evening, Manus experienced what he called some of the most insane nightmares he had ever experienced. I found myself walking with a friend, usually someone I know well and trust. At some point in the dream, I would look over into the eyes of the person that I'm with. It's then that I realized that there's something different something evil looking back at me. In that point in my dream, the person I'm with changes into what can only be described as the most gruesome, demonic-looking hag that I have ever seen. This hag proceeds then to beat the living tar out of me. He would awaken from these dreams and find scratches, bite marks, and even bruises on his body. These nightmares persisted for several weeks. Even friends or family that stayed at his house during this time complained of having similar terrifying dreams, the old lady appearing in all of them. In addition to these nightmares, Manus claimed that he began to see indistinct shadowy figures lurking about his home visiting guests reported the same. Eventually, having enough and becoming too spooked to keep it anymore, he decided to sell it on eBay, 
along with a full account as to how it came into his possession, as well as its history and all of the ominous phenomena associated with it. He would say in part of the description of the box, I would destroy this thing in a second, except I really don't have any understanding of what I may or may not be dealing with. I'm afraid, and I do mean afraid, that if I destroy the cabinet, whatever it is that seems to have come with the cabinet may just stay here with me. I've been told that there are people who shop on eBay that understand these kinds of things and specifically look for these kinds of items. If you are one of these people, please, please, please buy this cabinet and do whatever you do with a thing like this. Help me. None of this deterred a buyer named Nietzsche from purchasing it in 2003 for $140. His winning bid earned him the box, its creepy contents, and apparently the evil spirit inhabiting it as well. Almost immediately after buying the cabinet, Nietzsche was plagued by all manner of strangeness. Electronics in his house would malfunction or simply cease to work. Lights would turn on and off by themselves. Objects would be misplaced or moved around even when no one else was there. Strange smells would appear and disappear abruptly, and blurry spectral figures roamed about. His hair even began to fall out, and to top it all off, insect infestation in his home that came from seemingly nowhere. This was enough to convince him to put the box back up for sale on eBay, after which it was purchased by a university museum curator and collector of religious paraphernalia named Jason Haxton of Kirksville, Missouri. Haxton, shortly after acquiring the box, began to have a myriad of health problems himself. Inexplicable welts appearing all over his body, rashes, hives, constant coughing fits, fatigue, a metallic taste in his mouth, persistent nasal problems, and even coughing up blood for no discernible reason. His home had frequent phantom scents of things such as jasmine and cat urine. Intrigued by all of these phenomena, Haxton then had it looked at by a specialist on Jewish artifacts named Rebecca Ettery who determined it to be a sacred relic for imprisoning a spirit. She describes the box like so. The two doors on the outside open up just like the holy closet, or Aaron Hakodesh, a receptacle for Torah scrolls. And I saw round metal hoops on the inside of the doors that would hold these scrolls. This particular size is used when going to comfort the family of the deceased. The insertion of the spirit was done deliberately for a specific purpose. Being the caretaker of the Dybbuk box for several years, Haxton experienced a range of thoughts and feelings about it and its effects. Each caretaker who has passed the Dybbuk box on reports both relief and loss. All regret losing control of it. Haxton had Jewish rabbis and mystics perform rituals on the box to seal in its malicious spirit, after which he then sealed it with an acacia wood ark lined in 24-karat gold, and he hid it away in a secret location, reportedly indeed calming its strange effects. The Dybbuk box has gone on to become somewhat of a phenomena itself since it was first listed along with its eerie story on eBay. 
It's become the subject of numerous articles, books, television shows, and even large Hollywood productions. It has been the subject of countless internet forums and comments, and even birthed the movement of YouTubers performing dark web challenges in which they film themselves opening an alleged Dybbuk box of their own, exploring its secret contents, experiencing similar strange phenomena, much like Kevin Manis, Nitsky, and Jason Haxton. Is this just an old wine box wrapped in a tall tale, or an actual haunted or cursed artifact? Is there an ancient spirit inside, trapped there long ago, begging to be released again? Why was this spirit trapped there in the first place? What sort of evil might it have performed when it was a living being? The answer eludes us. And truly, it seems the only way to really know for sure is to open the box yourself. Shalom, friends, and welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, early Jewish mysticism, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host, Woody Brown. I mean, did, let me ask you a quick question. Did we just become Jewish? <laughs> Oh, 100%. Should we try to do some of those greetings we looked at earlier? Very disrespectful. Extremely. Well, here we are, man. The very first week of our October Spooktacular. And I got to be honest with you, man, this is a heck of a way to kick it off. Yeah, it sure is. It really, there's there's definitely like a a sort of real feeling to this, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, I kind of like glazed over it just now. Mm-hmm. in the time capsule that you just heard, listener. But there's a movie that is kind of based on this topic that both Tyler and I watched. And mm-hmm. th- there's something that I need to explain to everybody. Look, I'm a I'm a, a fan of, like, scary movies. But, oh, I thought you were going to say But there's, like, a certain part of it, like, there's a certain, like, sort of subgenre that I basically avoid, like, the plague Mm-hmm. And that is like anything that is sort of like this, like spiritual possession type. Those movies, you and my wife both. I mean, I don't because there's just like it's the most realistic to me, and it's the mm-hmm. scariest. You know, like mm-hmm. I think I've said this before on the show. Like whether it's Jason, well, maybe not Freddie necessarily, but like a lot of these scary movies, I feel like, hey, if something crazy is happening, I can at least just run away from it. Just, just run. Yeah, yeah. In this instance, I don't really know a whole lot of Jewish rabbis that can help me mm-hmm. get rid of a, a dibbuk, but, uh, and not just Jewish rabbi, but like a learned first century Jewish rabbi type guy mm-hmm. who creates golems in his spare time. <laughs> right. Right. And so, I mean, I think one of the things that really kind of, 
I don't know, sparked my interest in this topic is I think so often when we think of anything or anyone sort of being possessed, you, you for me anyway, you immediately think of Catholic. Know, yeah, Catholic, yep. Catholicism, uh, mm-hmm. the movie The Exorcist, whatever it is, because of my own ignorance, I don't know almost I didn't know almost anything about this sort of ancient Judaism and all these, the the incredible folklore and stuff that, I mean, is extremely ancient. Mm -hmm. It was just, it's just fascinating to learn about. Yeah, I had heard of this years and years ago, and I want to say it was on Darkness Radio for any of you fans out there. I don't even know if it's still around, but uh, it was a podcast that was, well, technically it was a show on the radio and then it was converted and, and placed on like podcast catchers and stuff. But I remember them talking about it. And at the time, even then, it was very much like they kept putting out disclaimers of like, hey, you know, there's all these stories of even if you're just talking about it, you don't even have to have it. Even if you are, are kind of getting into the topic, beware, because there's things you know, a lot of people do experience things. And so it kind of blew me away. And I'd totally forgotten about it because it was kind of big there for a while, I guess, probably around the time of like the possession or, or a few years before. But yeah, man, like, it just kind of popped into my head recently when we were planning shows, you know, some other stuff that, that we have cooking for uh, Halloween season. And um, yeah, we were going to kind of add it with like another little batch of things. But I mean, it really does kind of deserve its own its own episode for sure. And the movie Tyler's talking about that we kind of glazed through earlier is a movie called The Possession, <laughs> The Possession, which came out in 2012. And I don't know again if it's because of my you know lack of having watched movies like this mm-hmm. almost since the first time I saw The Exorcist. Uh, yeah. I thought it was awesome, man. I thought it was really, really well oh, done. Me too. It scared the crap out of me. It's you know PG thirteen, but the funny thing about that, like sort of PG-13 rating is, oh, you know, I thought, well, it's not going to get, like, too crazy. Maybe, you know, maybe my wife can watch it with me. No, I'm Tell glad. It's crazy. I'm glad that she didn't. And yeah. it's all the, it's always that, like, weird sort of, like, weird body movement stuff that happens in these movies or, like, oh, yeah. boy, if you have not seen this movie, it is a great one for the Halloween season. It's extremely spooky, I thought. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. it kind of does cover loosely the basics of sort of what you just heard in terms of some of the things that happened to the folks that, you know, had possession of the, the this original sort of Divic box. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. before we go into this box any further and kind of give some updates about it, I think we need to kind of explain what a Divic is. Yeah. Okay. So according to ancient Jewish lore, the Divic is... Basically, it's a malevolent wandering spirit that enters and possesses the body mm-hmm. of a living person until it's, you know, exercised. And apparently it can happen because of a number of different reasons. Uh, sometimes the departed soul is like a sinister one and the living mm-hmm. person is innocent. Or conversely, the departed soul might have been saintly but wronged by the living in some way. And then in this case... For example, the possession is essentially like punishment or revenge for an improper act, which, you know, isn't too Mm -hmm. far from a lot of the folklore stuff that we know of in terms of like spirits haunting or like kind of just being around a a specific location, right? Or if if you're a fan of uh, James O'Barr's The Crow. Right. That's basically what he is. Exactly, yep. 
True. But it's interesting because you go back and you look at even like an ancient picture of an, a, a, an ancient sort of depiction or drawing of a Dybbuk. And man, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. It's just like there's these old drawings of this guy and he's just imagine this guy that's just carrying the weight of another yeah. person on its back, mm-hmm. but it's like this skeleton looking thing. It's, um, yeah, the, the, what I found too was, was that, which I didn't know that, it, that there were sort of good, I didn't necessarily read all that. I read that like, usually it was sort of a malevolent spirit that was, it would kind of take, you know, sort of, uh, what was the Denzel Washington movie where he could, it would like touch another human. And Training it would day. Of, you motherfuckers will be playing basketball in Pelican Bay when I get finished with you. <laughs> it would pass this demon into that body. Mm-hmm. It was able to kind of jump around. No, but but I thought it was cool that it basically can just sort of inhabit, it. you know, it just basically needs a vessel. So yeah. I guess in the... Jewish traditions, I don't know how to pronounce this, I'm going to butcher it, but like Gohana, Gaihana, mm-hmm. is sort of, you know, there's a lot more to this, but basically when you die, the life in the body sort of slowly leaves the body in these sort of stages. But basically once your spirit is completely kind of taken out, you know, you're met at the gates of Gaihana. Again, I'm probably not saying the right word, but if you're, if you're basically kicked out, you know, then you're just sort of forced to roam the earth as a wandering spirit. But in that, you have no sort of corporeal body, so you're able to sort of inhabit these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think the priest would actually, they were able to kind of put them in these, like, containers, like boxes and, and stuff like that, right? Yeah, so before we get there, I think also this is a great time for us to say, friends who are Jewish, please forgive us for the mispronunciation oh, of yeah. any uh, words or anything like that. Don't be offended. It's uh, or it's not the best at pronunciation, no. uh, apparently. Um, Never have been. So, in my sort of research about Dybbuk's in general, what I kind of found was that in the past they were more frequent, right? And just like a lot, you know, in Christianity, we're all used to having heard about like you know the witch trials and and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And a lot of those folks potentially being folks that had some sort of mental illness or mm-hmm. stuff like that. The same kind of thing would happen in this case, but in a way less sinister. Most of the time it would just involve, uh, and we'll get to like how to get rid of the Dybbuk. Dude, I did find like these old examples of Dybbuk possession dating back into the, like the 16th century. Whoa. And even like this one that is just like, extremely freaky dude that happened around the 18th century in Poland. This, and, and okay, by the way, typically the people that were possessed by the Dybbuk were either female or young children. Which again, man, straight up the exact same sort of parameters for poltergeist. Mm -hmm. Right. There's something about those, Mm -hmm. uh, either a, a young lady or a young child you know, like a woman or a child that is somehow more... Like like susceptible? Yeah, susceptible, you know, for some of these things to kind of get in there. But anyway, okay, listen to this account, dude. It's 18th century Poland. A Jewish woman was possessed by this Dybbuk that all of a sudden this girl starts from her throat speaking in Polish, which was not her first mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. And it was causing her like extreme physical pain. It wouldn't allow her to, she like tried to pray, it wouldn't allow it. It would like 
her body would like bend to where it wouldn't let her pray or like speak the words of the sacred texts and stuff mm-hmm. in Hebrew. She would try to go to the synagogue and it would like, again, something would happen to her body. I'm not saying it would like morph or anything. It didn't say anything like that, but she, it wouldn't physically allow her to get inside. Which that's, I mean, that's kind of a classic sort of exorcism looking. It's like they'll, they'll like contort the body to like, you know, control it and to like cause sort of physical pain. Mm -hmm. During the exorcism, they heard a disembodied third voice. Mm. Not this woman's, not the debooks, but a third voice, okay? You hear that, Tim Maraschenko? Mm-hmm. Witnesses around recognized the voice as a, f- a famous rabbi who had died a couple of years previously. So all of a sudden they're hearing this voice. The, the, the voice of the rabbi basically said that this young lady would be healed. She was saintly, she wasn't evil, and that she would get better and would eventually bear a son, which all of those things happened. Hmm. I read a couple other like accounts, same kind of deal, man, where it's like a young girl who ends up speaking in a voice that everybody recognizes it to be completely different. It's, you know, either in another language that she never knew for in that last example, you know, mm-hmm. Polish was not her uh, first language. In all these other ones, it would be like di- completely different language. And they're just like, what's going on? So I kind of yeah. looked into it a little bit further on like, like what is it? Which what again, is, that that's kind of a, again a, like a demon possession type mm-hmm. type thing where they suddenly just they have complete command over like multiple languages and it's like whatever this thing is that's like inhabited these people is or like sort of beyond the they don't have to sort of abide by the rules that you know well I don't know a language it's like they just kind of yeah know all of it yeah. you know some of the common criteria in all these cases are that like. The Dybbuk, like I said before, typically inhabits a female. The Dybbuk itself is generally a male. Hmm. Again, the quality of the victim's voice is changed, either strange or high-pitched or even another language. Speech sometimes may not even be accompanied by movements of the mouth or tongue. Hmm. Knowledge of events that were very unlikely to be accessible to the victim, where they have like this knowledge of events that they wouldn't know about. Also, dude, and this is maybe the scariest one, which they, I thought, did a pretty good job depicting in the movie, The Possession, a mobile bulge anywhere in the victim's body. Do you know what I'm saying, though, man? Like, a weird bulge is, like, moving around the person's body. Mm. Yeah, that that was a really cool scene. Yeah. We're going to keep talking about this movie until you guys go see it. Exactly. So. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, so, so, so wait a minute. I got a question. Yeah. You kind of clearly see the similarities between like demonic possession or your, at least your sort of stereotypical demonic possession and the Dybbuk type inhabitation of, of a body. Mm-hmm. But so, but basically the difference is, is I guess like, well, I think there's probably similarities, but so supposedly the difference is, Demonic possession, possession, clearly it's a demon. And then this is just sort of this, like basically a ghost, like a wandering bodiless spirit, right? Because I'm wondering now if... Basically what I found in this like paper written for like this Jewish history study, it doesn't necessarily, just because it's a dibic doesn't mean that it's evil, necessarily Mm, but for whatever reason this soul of a deceased person has entered another person prior to being like judged in heaven 
Okay. Right. Yep. And yeah, but do you ever see situations where there's where the Dybbuk is actually like a positive? No, no, no. It, the only reason yeah. is like maybe they led a good life. They were murdered. Then they come Still back and off. possess the murderer or something like that. You know what I'm saying? To take revenge. Oh, so I it's see. not necessarily that it is a demon, so to speak. But right. it yeah. is a, I would maybe call it an unholy uh, possession for sure. You know, I mean, it's it's certainly somebody that's evil. So, I mean. So it'd be like if Eric Draven, instead of coming back as the crow, mm-hmm. he just he just came back and inhabited. The little skater girl. The, no, no, no. He, he would inhabit the, bo- the, time. The, the body of, of T-Bird or, or, or like Ernie or, Hudson. No, those are all good guys. <laughs> I know, dude. I just wanted to, uh, yeah. Like if if he and you know uh, if he just like inhabited them, them and just waited until they're like fire it up, fire it up, and then man, just, that's cool. So so maybe we're looking at the whole. Maybe we're looking at this backwards. Maybe all of these things that we keep seeing as um, as like you know you're like the Exorcist and like the exorcism of Emily Rose and stuff. Like all these things. Maybe they're not even demons. At all, maybe they are just these, these dibics. Yeah, or just like, and then you know, in the Jewish lore, the dibic isn't the only type of possession possibility, really. Mm, let, let's go down that road. So, but before we do, let's understand why this. After these messages, we'll be right back. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. The thing that kind of got us turned on to this topic was just the Dybbuk box in general. The fact that it's this like phenomenon now and it is, you know, extremely strange. There are television shows. The guy, you know, the last guy that had it, Jason Haxton that we talked about, for the longest time would not give it up. You know, he he didn't want to necessarily get rid of it. You know, I, I think it was probably like a little worried that he would regret it kind of thing. He had tons of experts kind of review it mm-hmm. eventually though. He uh, donated it to Zach Baggins, Baggins! the host of the show Deadly Possessions. Mm -hmm. I think there was a an episode about it on there. Which he, which he's the guy from. I think it's is it Ghost Adventures. I never used to watch that show, but 
It's, he's like the come at me, bro. Okay. Would, yeah, I haven't I haven't seen it, um, and I didn't yeah. I didn't watch it for this episode's research or anything. But apparently, he's yeah. the one that has it now. Mm-hmm. But as we were kind of uncovering, you know, well, what exactly is a dibuk and all the lore behind it? I kind of started finding that there's other different types of well, th- there's just all kind of like mythic narratives that that kind of go way way back, and mm-hmm. some of it is like from the Kabbalah. Some of it is mm-hmm. from just the Torah, the, the Talmud, Talmud, and, you know, mm-hmm. the way that they describe certain things. And so aside from the Dibbuk, there is something called the, I'm going to call it the Iber, mm. and it's I-B-B-U-R, so Iber, Iber. They are a soul that visits a person during the sleep, sometimes bringing messages from beyond or prophecies about the future, or it might even mm-hmm. haunt a place as in a lot of our popular ghost stories. Sometimes this soul of a departed righteous person may impregnate the soul of a living person. Wait, though un- huh? yeah, unlike the Dybbuk, though, the Iber is usually positive, not negative. Sometimes mm. a righteous soul undergoes the Iber so it can complete a task or perform a mitzvah. So a mitzvah is a good deed done from a religious duty or a precept or a commandment. Sometimes... It does the, you know, it possesses the righteous person for the good of the host's soul. So really, the Iber is not a whole lot different from being possessed by the Dybbuk, except for their polar opposites, really. Um, mm-hmm. The Iber being more benign and the Dybbuk being more sinister. But I just thought that was oh, so, extremely... Uh, so that's what I was asking. Yeah. It's like, so there is like a positive yeah. sort of version. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> In both of these cases, you know, again, it's this life energy that's being diverted from for either like positive or negative mm-hmm. reasons. Life energy in itself is extremely powerful. I read a lot about how like the early Jewish um, texts and stuff talk about the, it talks about how like the power of creation is, the you know, one of the most important processes in the material world. Mm-hmm. I mean, after all, it's kind of, that's what God does, right? He creates the world, right. brings it into being. And it's pretty cool because they liken it to like, you know, the one power we have as humans that, that especially back in the day, but truly, you know, to be honest with you, I still feel the same way. That's very sort of cosmic and, and, and almost like a superpower is that we can, and, you know, if you're, I don't know if this is safe for work, but we can create life as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is not going to yeah. be the birds and the bees right now, but. <laughs> you are not the father. Yeah. Um, our ability to participate in like a divine process of creation. So they kind of talk about that and they talked and the Talmud relates a tale of rabbis who grew hungry while on a journey. And so they created a calf out of earth and ate it for dinner. It's almost like this, well, that might be disrespectful. I was going to say like this sort of kind of like allegory. Yeah. 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 How Christ or not Christ, but God created us. Yeah. Well, in this though, specifically, it does talk about how like, you know, just as God speaks and creates in Genesis, mm-hmm. so too can the mystic. And in fact, the word, this is incredible, dude. I had no idea about this. <clears throat> the word abracadabra oh, yeah, is derived from the word abracadabra, mm-hmm. which is Aramaic for I create as I speak. Yep, exactly. It, it, it's what we talked about in the other episode, where which is a fascinating, it's always been fascinating to both of us, is the idea that like, you know, like it says in the Bible, basically the sound of the word is is this sort of power or energy that sort of fuels 
a certain way of like like creation really in a way mm -hmm. there's probably a much more elegant way of saying that but like God having the ability to just speak things into existence mm -hmm. and I think I know where you're going here. Yeah, the, the, the Kabbalists basically determined that the rabbis did this uh, just incredible act. You can call it magical if you want, uh, you mm -hmm. know, whatever, by language and, and utilizing the formulas set forth in the book of creation or whatever and yeah. under the rarest of circumstances basically showing that a human being may have the ability to imbue lifeless matter. Yeah, and so this moves into what also is extremely fascinating. And, and truthfully, I kind of like stepped back from this so that you can, I feel like you're probably going to know a ton about this, but this is essentially when they start talking about creating what is called a golem. Mm -hmm. And it's almost being like an alchemical process. Tales of mystical rabbis creating life from dust abounded, mm -hmm. uh, particularly particularly in the early modern period, which, I mean, truly probably inspired tales such as like Frankenstein and the Saucer's Apprentice and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, so basically a golem is like a, uh, a creature or an entity, maybe, if you will, that's typically would, would be formed out of dust or mud or earth. You know, again, similar to how God would have created people back in the day. But the golem is basically brought to life by these doing these sort of incantations or sort of a ritual. And and they would, I think the whole kind of deal is they would basically write, sort of carve, I guess, technically with their fingers into this soft clay, you know, scriptural stuff or these like sort of early first century Hebrew like phrases. And if you want to lean into like the magical side, it would be kind of an incantation kind of thing, but there's sort of a gray area of like, well, what's magic and what's, you know, if it's chosen or delivered by God, is it is it good and not magic? Or, you know, there, so there's all this kind of a little bit of not conflict. What am I trying to say? Like, there's a little bit of back and forth between between that because I think in the Torah they talk about being able to create these calves just in time for this meal that they basically made steaks out of. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people view that as like a magic thing. And then other people view it as like, oh, well, no, it was, it's a divine thing because it was of God, mm -hmm. you know, for the Jewish community or whatever. But basically a rabbi or a holy man would bring to life these golems. He, they would basically create them to be like a helper mm -hmm. or some sort of companion. It says here, a rescuer of an imperiled Jewish community. Yeah, I, I kind of read that like when it all started, the tales of the golem basically being created to save, uh, you know, a Jewish community from persecution or death and having mm -hmm. some sort of like heroic revenge that, you know, the powerless persecuted Jews didn't have. Um, and mm -hmm. so, like, the folk tales about them kind of started out good, but then things kind of go awry and often end up kind of, like, having some tragic sort of result. Yeah, which which this is, you know, this is where, like, I love this kind of stuff because to me, like, you know, in, in this research, looking into golems and stuff, it immediately made me think, that, well, should I get into this? Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. And really, like, if you kind of think about it, sort of being... And in a source of inspiration, we'll say, for something like Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. You know, you like, especially in that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, because it's mm -hmm. like you've got this like creature that was created 
the intentions were good. Hey, we need this. We need somebody to come and save us. So this rabbi, uh, you know, creates this golem using this this old power, this ancient old world power, right? Mm-hmm. And then the golem eventually kind of grows fearsome, violent, right? And then the rabbi is forced to destroy it, which is you know, man, it's pretty tragic, right? But also, everything falls into entropy. Everything, you know, kind of like Frankenstein, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. This you like, can only be like this subservient robot for so long until they start yeah. getting their own, you know, mm-hmm. personality and wants and needs. Yeah, I'm leading you, wanting you, needing you. <laughs> Watching you. Um, <laughs> yeah, like this brutish creature whose powers are too easily turned into destructive ends, you know. It perfectly sort of like, in a way, kind of encapsulates that same sort of like anxiety we all have about ghosts, mm-hmm. demons, Dibbooks, you know, the, the fact that like this, this power of, of life, so to speak, the, this life force power is so strong that it brings both promise and terror. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and there's that sort of inescapability of it that's probably the most sort of scary, you know, with the Dybbuk and anything that's just sort of, whether it's this man-made kind of take on it with like the Gollum or the Dybbuk, it's like, I think you were sort of alluding to earlier is like, you know, with the Freddy Krueger thing, mm-hmm. it's like, you can't, you can't, it's like, where are you going to go? Like a spirit, you can't really get away from that, you know? Right. And I think that's part of the reason why, I mean, those things, there's just this eeriness and this like terrifying quality to like those kind of stories that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, man, like there is, there's something that I truly believe that like a lot, because as you kind of dive further, and I encourage people to do so, as you dive further into this old, quote-unquote, old-world Jewish folklore and stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of that has kind of, over time, kind of gone away. Right, yeah. And, it you know, it, it occurs less and less, and, you know, I don't know. To me, it's like a lot of those old sort of beliefs and almost even, quote-unquote, powers, if you will, have been long forgotten. Those traditions, that's what I was looking for, have been long mm-hmm. forgotten. Oh, especially, I mean, again, this is like ancient, ancient stuff. Although I am looking now, this is pretty fascinating. The word golem occurs in the Bible in Psalm 139, 16, which uses the word galmi, which translates to my golem. That means my light form or raw material, mm. connoting the unfinished human being before God's eyes. Man. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like... You know, I feel like the older generation, and I'm talking like older, older generation, like folks like my wife's uh, grandma who passed away last year, who was like 104 or whatever. Wow. I mean, they had stories that their parents told them that, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like folklore that was passed as an oral tradition that may not have made it to us, you know? And so when things like this when I see movies like this, when I read stories like this, it's just, man, it, it holds another level of sort of like terror and real that like yeah. it's just super hard to explain. And, you know, so I, I digging more into this Dybbuk box that kind of hit the scene in early eBay history. And again, this is, this is what I love about it being so like, you know, mm-hmm. so 2003, this is something that would be listed. Of course, this is something that would be on eBay. <laughs> you know, which also when you say 2003, I feel like that was last year. Yeah, no. But it's almost been 20 years, mm-hmm. which is disgusting. It sure is. 
I mean, first, like this guy's product description might be the scariest thing I've ever seen. You know, I mean, I don't know. Usually it's like, hey, this VHS tape does not have mold. Yeah. But I gotta I gotta kinda update the uh the listeners here. Well, first it's important to know this the the person that had it, Jason Haxton, probably the longest, you know, the guy that um he's the director of the Museum of Osteopathic Medicine in Kirksville, Missouri. Hmm. He studied American antiques and ancient artifacts for decades and decades. Obviously, this kind of box, this kind of artifact, this antique is just something that's right up his alley, right? So he wrote a book about the box in like 2011, I think. And then in 2012, of course, the possession, the movie The Possession, which was produced by Sam Raimi. And again, this is another time that we're going to plug it. Hey. I think you should watch. I just, you know, I kind of get nervous though because I don't really watch these kind of movies all the time. And maybe in comparison to all the other different possession movies. Oh, I thought it was awesome. Okay. Yeah. And you, well, and also it's like, it's kind of a rarity. You don't really see, um, you don't really see many sort of. Dime a dozen. No, no, no. I'm saying like ancient Jewish. I mean, that's kind of a, you know, rarity, I think. Some cool things that kind of, well, cool. Some strange things that happened when the movie was being made mm. uh, during production, just weird stuff would happen on set. Um, uh, the director described sort of like this, he was standing underneath this unlit neon light and it just mm-hmm. randomly exploded. Wow. Five days after shooting wrapped for the movie, all the props from the film, listen to this, man, this is nuts. All of the props from the film were destroyed in a mysterious fire wow and then like fast forward now the like i said before the box is um has been obtained by zach baggins the host of the travel channel show ghost adventures plenty of spinoffs his museum because he has he has it like in his yeah it's in his museum or whatever on an episode of one of this guy's shows he opens the box on the episode Mm. apparently you can hear it say kevin I guess maybe referencing Kevin Manis, the first guy, and mm-hmm. also this evil child's voice. The show captured on wow. camera what Baggins and his crew claimed was a figure that manifested inside of the box. Some other sort of pop culture relatable thing is on that episode, Post Malone, who I guess is one of yeah. um, Baggins' friends, basically was touching the shoulder of Baggins. Didn't even touch the box, but felt these like, bad vibes a few months Mm. after that dude his private plane post malone's private plane was forced to make an emergency landing Mm -hmm. his san fernando valley home was broken into and he was involved in a car accident now he talks about this on seth meyer's late night show and i mean truly like 100 percent believes it with every bit of his you know resolve what i kind of found out later though there's been a lot of skeptics about this thing because Apparently, Kevin Manis, at the time when he listed this thing on eBay, he's like a creative writer, essentially. Mm -hmm. I found this article where the author essentially reached out to Manis because Manis, over almost 20 years now, has really kind of just been quiet about it, refusing to answer emails, won't talk to reporters about it. In 2019, there's a, a column in a magazine by a guy named Kenny Biddle who basically goes on to dismiss the haunted wine, the haunted cabinet as a hoax. As proof, he posts this screenshot of a Facebook post from Kevin Manis that's dated October 2015. 
and it says, I am the original creator of the story of the Divic Box, which appeared as one of my eBay posts back in 2003. Mm-hmm. The idea that Dybbuk boxes have some kind of history prior to my story and the idea that a Dybbuk box could contain anything other than a Dybbuk along with any deviation to the type of contents I created to be found inside of a Dybbuk box is laughable at best. Huh, run on sentence. How about this? If you or anyone else can find any reference to Dybbuk box anywhere in history prior to my eBay post, I'll pay you $100,000. And tattoo your name on my forehead. So he's basically saying, look, I created it. There's no such thing as a quote-unquote Dybbuk box anywhere in history. He says that there were only 10 authentic original Dybbuk boxes created ever. The term Dybbuk box was never used or known prior to 2001. He was the original owner. He says, you may contact me and ask any questions you might have, answers about Dybbuk boxes, my experience with them, or anything related from anyone else are probably a bunch of crap. Hmm. Which I, I will say, like, I remember looking this up on the internet mm-hmm. when I first heard about it, year, you know, 12 years ago or something. And this was the story that you would continue, continually see, like only this story of, of Kevin and uh, whoever the next few guys mm-hmm. were or whatever. But now, you know, looking into the episodes, you go on and it's just like, it's almost hard to find that stuff because now it's like all these they're all being sold on the on the dark web and like video after video of all these YouTubers and it's like, okay. Yeah. And so so basically this reporter kind of like reached out to him. And when Manis kind of gets on the phone line or whatever, they he quickly tells this guy, look, there's no such thing as a Dybbuk box in Jewish folklore and explains the meaning of the word Dybbuk. He says that it's kind of like it's kind of an oxymoron because Dybbuks don't live in boxes. They live in people, essentially. So this reporter kind of asks, like, okay, so the whole thing was made up, the whole backstory of it coming from a Holocaust survivor. And this is when it kind of gets a little weird, dude, because that's when this Kevin Manis character kind of backtracks a little. He's like, no, 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 I'm not saying that. He says that the box did, in fact, come from a Holocaust survivor mm-hmm. who somehow imbued the wine cabinet with supernatural powers and that her granddaughter used that term when he bought it from her in 2001. So mm-hmm. essentially, he's backtracking. Things get sort of muddy. So then the reporter kind of like contacts the next major owner, which is Kevin Haxton. And Haxton is just like, look, man, I don't know what this guy is talking about it. I mean, I've had experts look at it. Some Something's going on here. Regardless of whether he made it or not, it really doesn't even matter. It had to start somewhere, but something is there and it's bigger than Kevin. Mm. Well, in in sort of researching this, I saw the article and, you know, of course, it's sort of clickbaity of like, oh, the Dybbuk box is a fake. But I found a show on YouTube called like the Skeptic Toolbar or something where they actually interview him. And the host of the show is like, OK, well, you know, tell us about it. And he kind of goes through the whole story, I guess, if you will, you know, talks about where he got it, talks about what happened, talks about all these accidents, this, you know this guy that worked for him, his brother, uh, you know, died, killed himself. The, the, like a week later, he kills himself. You know, the whole deal with like his mom, him getting her that as a gift and then stepping out and then coming back to find out that she had had a stroke literally while being in the presence of the, the Dybbuk box. And so he's kind of setting it up as like, I'm thinking that he's, 
that he's going to say, hey, I made the whole thing up. I mean, he he is saying that. But mm-hmm. then once he goes into it, then the host is like, okay, well, so what was made up and what wasn't? He's like, well, I mean, you know, yeah, the thing with my mom, I mean, that all happened. And, you know, she had a stroke. This, you know, when I stepped away and gave it to her and no longer could use her arms, no longer could speak and begged to get it out of the house. He's like, no, that's real. And then he's like, mm-hmm. well, what about, you know, this and this and this. And he kind of goes down all the stuff. And he's like, no, 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 that, those, that, all that stuff's real too. I don't know that it has anything to do with the box itself. And it's just like, what are you doing, dude? It, it's, it almost kind of felt like he, I don't know. It's like he wants to be, he wanted to say like, hey, I came up with it. But mm-hmm. once you kind of break it down, it's like all the stuff that he quote unquote made up is all stuff that he's like, no, I mean, that, that actually really happened. It's just like little things here and there that that he was like, no, that didn't happen. But it, it's it's silly stuff that doesn't really, you know, make that big of a difference. Right. Which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I read further that he he admits that he even added like new elements to the Dybbuk story, the Dybbuk story over the years to help like evolve it and keep it relevant and interesting. And whenever he was on Ghost Adventures Quarantine, Manus told another part of this ongoing ghost story that he had given Baggins a second smaller Dybbuk box on the show and said there was a total of 10 that were hidden around the globe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, explained that basically these folks had summoned an evil spirit to help the Jews fight against the Nazis during the Holocaust, but they couldn't control it. The same spirit caused some of the 20th century's greatest disasters, including the Korean War, and knowing that... <laughs> so that's the, like the golem, basically. Kind of, yeah. and But not really like a physical like right. one, yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually, knowing that they had kind of done wrong, they captured the Dybbuk and separated it into 10 different boxes. And if those boxes were ever brought together, evil would be unleashed, the likes of which the world has never seen. See, that feels... Yeah, exactly. And so... That's definitely him mm-hmm. embellishing. Yeah. Right. What's yeah. interesting, though, is this is when... And this is when you and I, like our conversation about it, although all of this stuff is extremely interesting and extremely Mm -hmm. uh, spooky and scary and all this, it kind of like starts to get back to our episode that we did about Andrew W.K. Mm -hmm. and the Codex before that and all this where it's almost like equally interesting to me that if this guy truly invented this whole story it's taken on this like life of its own man yeah you, you know it's it's almost like a placebo kind of thing and and i'll get into sort of the the other aspects but i i think it's interesting to say okay so if if everything happened exactly like it was supposed to the first dude made up everything every single bit of it even though i just saw a show where he said he didn't but say every bit of that is all fake and all completely made up well the next i guess two people that bought the box hypothetically if they if they thought that it was the real thing then it was just as powerful as if it were you know a wandering spirit because they still had all this like crazy stuff happen so it's like does that make it any less sort of like potent or like powerful you know right and the fact that like all of those things did happen like i don't know i mean coincidence i don't know made up i don't know it does go back to that thing that we talked about earlier in the episode when we're talking about creation Mm -hmm. from 
speaking something into existence essentially. Yeah, and that that's that's the kind of thing that I love. Like I'm a huge fan of you know, there's this concept, I guess they could be called thought forms or tulpas. If you listen to paranormal podcasts, that was kind of a, a fairly big thing several years back. But basically a tulpa is this this idea that is derived from I can't remember the word, but it's like this you know, it's derived from like Tibet and these sort of ascended masters, these, you know, Tibetan monks having the ability to basically create these thought forms. Like they had, they would have so, they were able to sort of harness or manipulate themselves having so much belief in something that they were able to sort of create it. So basically kind of like a golem or even sort of a Dybbuk, it's just this sort of idea that you can create this being or object through spiritual or like mental powers, I guess, which is kind of amazing. And it's also, you can go into so many different areas. You can go into our little kids doing this, but maybe on a subconscious level, whenever they're creating imaginary friends. But the the concept of like the tulpa is sort of linked back, I think, to, there's a woman named like Annie Besant. And apparently she was sort of a theosophist, which, you know, again, leads back to Helena Blavatsky and Aleister Crowley, which again is, you know, we just talked about on Andrew WK episode, but I think she basically went to live with the monks for a while. And I guess she sort of had made friends and they sort of taught her or sort of helped her go through this process of creating a tulpa. And, you know, she put all of her thoughts into it. She imagined like what he would look like, you know, the way he would walk, the way you know, it's kind of creating out of your imagination something. And mm. I, I kind of want to do a full episode on this yeah, at a later date because it's pretty fascinating. But basically, it kind of worked. And she started seeing, at first she started seeing something out of the corner of her eye, you know, like a little, like somebody in the corner of her eye, she would look and be gone. It, you know, kind of started off small. And then, again, the more she kind of put thought into it and 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 was kind of becoming sort of obsessed with this. She started seeing this like jolly kind of like chubby monk, this, you know, bald robed monk. Uh, She would kind of see him off in the distance or see him whatever. And then eventually I think it scared her maybe. And she didn't want to have anything to do with it. And apparently like that's part of the deal is like whenever you create these things, you have to also sort of destroy them in a way. And I can't remember exactly how all that works, but she didn't really do that. And so she said that she started seeing this, this sort of transformation between this like happy, jolly, kind of like jovial, funny monk. He started getting like skinnier and skinnier and like darker and like more sort of malevolent and negative feelings were associated with him. And then she would start to see him like in the middle of the night, like in the corner of her room and, you know, stuff like that. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like once we kind of got into this whole, this, you know, the, the idea of that, if this is a situation where the Dybbuk was completely made up by him, I think, you know, creating this, this eBay description that's, you know, just putting just enough out there to make it really scary and, you know, play, place it in like an ancient, you know, Jewish tradition, you know, makes it even a little more sort of like foreign and kind of like creepy or whatever. Mm. Even the things that were in the box, you know, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. like two little bundles of hair tied with like, a, you know, hair tie with one was white, one was 
was brown or black or whatever. And then, you know, these sort of obscure, like a, you know, wilted rose petal or whatever, like all these kind of things, What whatever happened, like if none of that was a real thing, I truly think like a, an actual sort of thought form or a tulpa, if you will, started to kind of be built up. And then once you kind of get into like, if you look into this stuff, it's like there's several different things. So basically a tulpa is an entity created by a person, a thought form that has a degree of will and autonomy, but it's basically sort of an imaginary friend that that kind of can lead into itself. There's another word and another topic, which again, we'll talk about this in the tulpa episode where, but it's called egregore. And it's, it's sort of a Greek, it has sort of Greek origins and it's referred to as like a number of things, you know, that are kind of created by this sort of mass sort of thought by like multiple people, all kind of like focusing and, and thinking about this one kind of thing. And then a servitor, which to me sounds just like a, it's sort of like the occult Skeletor. version of, yeah, exactly. It's kind of the occult version of a golem, really. Uh, it's created to serve like a magician, um, usually created to perform like a task. And to me, that's almost sort of like a golem mm -hmm. kind of deal. But, you know, basically what I'm saying is I think whatever it was, I think that however it got it, it got enough power to actually sort of start manifesting these things that that added up to what he had made up, you know. Mm -hmm. And I mean, at the end of the day, if the only result of all of this, if mm -hmm. he did make it up, yeah, is that we got a pretty darn good scary story. Oh yeah. You know that is enriched with oh yeah. old ancient Jewish folklore. Mhm. Mm Man, I think we we kind of come out on top, you know. I mean, yeah, oh yeah. Well, let me let me say this too. You know, going back to saying talking about how you know, back in the day 10, 12 years ago, you could type in Dybbuk box and it would always just point to the one case uh, you know, the one Dybbuk box. And then now, you know, you you type it in on on YouTube or whatever, and like there's hundreds of videos of all these YouTube stars and whatever, and it's like, oh, I bought this off the dark web, and I'm gonna open it. I, you know, there's a part of me that thinks it's all silly and it's all ridiculous. Which more than likely, there's a lot of charlatans out there, mm -hmm. and and there's a lot of fakery. But I will say, like I was talking about, you know, the term egregore when it but when it goes from being a thought form created by one person having belief in something, maybe maybe it has become an actual egregore and, you know, this sort of fear is, brought, you know, obviously brought to the, the a mass, you know, millions and millions and millions of people know about this thing now. Mm -hmm. And they have the, that idea in their head that like, oh, this thing's really dangerous. This is an ancient, dark entity that's kept in this thing. And, you know, let's get one off the dark web. It'll have to have like a, a, a demon or a Dybbuk in it. And so maybe all these boxes are nothing more than like just somebody making them in, you know, some, you know, Chinese factory. And they're just these silly kind of like, you know, replicas. But because there's been like sort of this mass minded sort of creation of this egregore, Maybe it's kind of serving itself, you know, creating, it's like, creating almost like a, a like a, a gateway for these things to like, yeah, actually exactly. come into existence. Mm -hmm. Man, yeah, fascinating. Okay, so if you had to say yay or nay, what do you think this thing is? Do you think it's real? Do you think it's fake? What do you think? 
like I said kind of earlier, man, these ancient sort of old world things I believe existed. I think they still do exist. I think because of, and it kind of reminds me of um, American gods. Right. In a way, That's, yeah. To where it's exactly. like you, they're, even in American folklore and Native American folklore, mm-hmm. There were all these different things in you know, ancient Greece and 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 uh, mythology and Roman mythology and Norse like mythology. Norse. Mm-hmm. All, there's all these different belief systems that existed at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And over time, they you know get engulfed or they get um, enveloped by whatever conquering religion sort of comes in, sweeps in through the area, and a lot of those beliefs, even though. I'm sure those people attempted to pass them down have kind of been lost, right? Mm-hmm. And because of that... Or sort of co-opted. Yeah, co-opted or, or whatever. But because of that potentially reducing and or diminishing or even just completely wiping out the power of that quote-unquote deity. I'm just talking about conceptually, that's kind of where I where I am. And mm-hmm. as these things such as this Dybbuk box or just the fact that it's being talked about again like in my imagination, I immediately imagine like all these Dybbuk's being like, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh man, now we can, wait a minute. And it's like, dude, this thing, what's interesting is throughout pop culture, the Dybbuk has kind of appeared dating, I mean, there's a famous like play from 1920. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's an episode for all you 80s fans out there. There's an episode of the real Ghostbusters, the cartoon called no. Drool the Dog-Faced Goblin, where the Ghostbusters basically, they're facing all these different ghosts, mm-hmm. and Egon mentions a Dybbuk. No. Yes. Oh, that's In amazing. another episode later on called The Devil to Pay, they deal with a demon named Dib Devlin. Wow. And Dib Devlin is later revealed to be a Dybbuk. Holy cow, that's yeah. amazing. So it's like these wow. things appeared, they exist. I mean, in pop culture potentially giving power to an ancient old world Mm -hmm. entity. And that's kind of what I think is going on. Now, do I think this dude made it up because he's a creative writer? I don't know, man. I, you know, I don't potentially, but you know, that's part of the reason why I like this Sam Raimi movie is it doesn't follow like this dude's story. They kind of Mm -hmm. took elements of it and put it in there, which. Well, now I did think it was cool. And again, if you haven't seen the movie, this is going to make no sense, but. I I didn't even realize this until I saw this interview, like I'm telling you about on that uh, skeptics toolbar, whatever it's called. But um, the the intro with the old lady and the guy, that's basically him and his mom. Mm -hmm. And then so as it goes on to the next people, it's like we pick up where Mm -hmm. his story ended. Yeah. Which is pretty pretty cool. Way that of, is pretty cool. But like yeah. all the artifacts inside of it and stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got to watch it. It's super creepy. Now, yeah, it's great. In five minutes, tell me what you think it is. Okay, I got a lot to go into here. I think, <laughs> I think that I think it could be a lot of different things. Honestly, I, I really do believe that there's there's power in that sort of egregore, tulpa, thought form kind of thing. I think I think that could be. A deal. I think it could be an ancient, uh, you know, first century Jew wandering soul who d- couldn't get into wherever, and you know, maybe that is a thing. So disrespectful. <laughs> um, I think that another thing that I did wh- while you were talking just then is this idea that 
you know how we always talk about, I feel like this was sort of the theme of our first season with Passport to Magonia and UFOs being the same thing as fairy abductions and, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And, and the idea that like we play a role, you know, are we the missing component in projecting how these things look or how they're viewed? And so I think, I don't know, I, I, I feel like, I feel like a lot of that could kind of be in play. I also think, which is, this is another thing that's a topic that is pretty creepy, but a djinn, which mm. is sort of a Middle Eastern thing. It's, you know, pretty heavily believed throughout the Middle East and the Middle Eastern traditions uh, and religions. And it's just this idea that basically God created people, God created angels, God created these other beings called the jinn out of smokeless flame. That's which, you know, if you think about it, it could be like plasma or, or whatever. But basically there, there are these other entities that kind of live behind the veil. And there's a lot of sort of you know, trickster elements of them. There's a lot of, um, but you know, th- again, that was written in. Um, I, I just think like it's 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 interesting and and somewhat self centered for us to kind of just only think that we're the only intelligent beings that were created. Now, yeah. those are potentially the only ones that we were told about, or at least by the time we got our hands on this ancient book that mm-hmm. had. Many, right. many, 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 many translations and revisions. Mm-hmm. Those things aren't in there. You know, I don't know, man. I've always thought like there's just more to the story that I can't wait to find out. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, all that to say, you know, the jinn were found in 1001 Nights, which is where we get, you know, Aladdin and the word genie and all that. But a lot of, a lot of uh, sort of elements of the jinn were you you were able to sort of place them in items mm. and so you would find them like mm. in a ring or in like a a God, lamp I, lo- I love the dude i love the parallel you know i i think that there could be something even to do with that you know i i just think there's a lot of different sort of options that this thing could be mm. and i don't believe that there's a dibic in every single one of the silly youtube videos but i think that it, it could be an egregore type thing where Maybe it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy and all these silly kids on YouTube are actually sort of creating this thing. Yeah, man. So, I, I mean. We'll, we'll have another episode where we talk about, you know, thought forms and yeah, and uh, told us and stuff. You know, admittedly, I know very little about that and so I'm excited too. Mm-hmm. Well, cool, dude. Well, um, I mean, what a way to kick off the Halloween season, dude. Yeah, dude. I mean, I'm so excited. This is I, I love this month, man. This, yeah, this is I love the spooky. I love mm-hmm. just the weather change, the candy. God, I thought you were going to say the weather channel. <laughs> the weather <laughs> channel. I mean, bringing our listeners spooky stories. I just this is just I, I love this, man. Yeah, I know. I, if I could like extend the month of October into like this the span of two months. Yeah. And in a way, we kind of do. Yeah, we kind of do, actually. I mean, let's you know, let's be real about it. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, this was an incredibly spooky story, mm-hmm. and like I said, really ignited my. I mean, more and more that we do the show. I was talking to Ann about this the other day. The more episodes that we do, the more I've come to realize, man, I'm becoming more and more fascinated with like history, you mm-hmm. know, ancient yeah. folklore. All the, are, is this like? Are we becoming old? Is that the deal? Oh, yeah. 
100%. (laughs) I don't know, man. You know, when I was in school, I I didn't really care much for history. I mean, it's like, okay, I got to take a history course. I got the history award, so I loved it. I got the history (laughs) award. I really did. Ladies and gentlemen, if you ever wondered what is a way for you to tell that Tyler went to a school of like 10 people. Give me an ad award. They just said, and this year's history award (laughs) goes to Tyler Benz. Like, Mm -hmm. I got the history award. I don't know, dude. That's... (laughs) It's like the, the one kid thing. that didn't fall asleep in class gets the history award. Yeah, boom, right away. The other mm-hmm. kid that makes the like volcano gets the science award. Science award. Yeah. Susie, who's just like the most athletic person, she gets the sports award. Yep. Jeremy, who's a little too handsy, gets the biology award. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you'd like we to find us, this up. you can go to Instagram where that's the bulk of all of our activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have spooky stories, if you have something you want to talk to us about, if you own your own Dybbuk box, feel free to shoot us a DM or if it's more of a long form thing, like I hope that you're going to do when you tell your spooky story and record it to a voice memo, send that on over to thatwouldberadpod at gmail.com. Anything else, Wood? We say it every week. Thank you so much to every single person that listens to our show, whether you're new or if you've been here since the beginning or if you crammed every single episode in a matter of a couple of days like some of our listeners have before. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. It means the world to us. Tyler and I, when we're not recording an episode, literally talk about it all the time. We just can't believe it. We're so grateful for you, so thank you so much. Don't forget, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple to leave us a review, please. five stars would be awesome. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Four stars, I'm going to find you. Yeah, don't even do it. Also, on that note, uh, like we kind of say a lot around here, please just go tell one friend. If this is your first time listening, you're like, oh my gosh, this is the best podcast I've ever listened to. Hey, pass it on. Yeah. Tell your buddy. Exactly. Just one friend, that's all it takes. Yeah, that's your good thing. You know, if that's the one good thing you do today. There you go. Like we always say, we love you, we appreciate you, and as always... Be red. That's the way it
Our future will be a parade. 